We want to thank you for tuning in to the Indian Run Christian Church podcast with Pastor Terry Bailey. This podcast can be found on iTunes by searching for Terry Bailey Ministries. Right now, let's get to Pastor Terry's insightful message. A lot of years ago, before we moved here, when the kids were young, Caleb one day opened the refrigerator in the kitchen there in Indianapolis and poured himself what he thought to be a glass of red Kool-Aid. He took a drink of it and immediately ran for the sink to spit it out and gag and hack. And he said, what is that? And the answer came to me immediately. I knew exactly what it was. It was a set of inferences. I had not seen the thing done, but in my mind's eye, I could infer and intuit and know exactly what unfortunate thing had just happened to Caleb. Because earlier in the week, as it was Easter time, Michael was wanting to make some pickled eggs. And... um, She said that she had run out of pickled beets that were canned and all she had left were fresh beets and she was going to have to work out some way to turn the fresh beets into brine in short order so that she could pickle the eggs. And so there it was, a pitcher of homemade beet brine just waiting for some poor innocent child to pour a glass and take a sip. I just knew it in an instant, except that I was totally, completely wrong. That was not what had happened at all. But it was so clear in my head. Oh, if only everything could be solved so completely in a flash of insight as that. Except I was wrong. So here's what really happened. Sarah and her cousin Amy had just booby-trapped a pitcher of Kool-Aid, made it with salt in place of sugar, and put it in the refrigerator, hoping to get Andrew and his cousin Bear, and Caleb was just an innocent victim in the shabby little game that they were playing. I found that out as the basis of eyewitness testimony. Now you see, there was my intuition and my series of inferences which seemed so clear to me at the time. But then there was eyewitness testimony which established the actual facts of the case and let us know exactly what had happened. Eyewitness testimony will always beat out inferences. No matter how clear they seem to us at the time that we infer them. I'd like to talk about eyewitness testimony for a little bit. I'm I'm, going to back up now a bit and, and return to the point that I'm should be picking up at this point. Every once in a while, somebody asks me a question that amounts to, well, if Jesus came and did everything that the Bible says that he did, how come there isn't any historical record of him? And, you know, of course, first, I have long since begun to count the Bible as a historical record, among 
other things, but I understand what they mean. Would the Bible be the only historical record? I've reached the point where it's enough for me, friends. I have come to trust the Bible as God's word implicitly and completely. But I do understand the question. If Jesus came and did these things, wouldn't somebody else other than the writers of the Bible have mentioned it? Well, as a matter of fact, let me tell you what you could know about Jesus Christ if you cared to comb the historical records, even if the Bible had never been written. At least if there was no New Testament, no Matthew, no Mark, no all the way through to Revelation, if that had never come about, and praise God that it did, amen? But if it had never come about, we would know Jesus' name, and we would know when he lived, and we would know where he lived. If the Bible had never been written, we would still know, if we cared to comb the records and find out, that Jesus was associated with another guy whose name is John the Baptist. If the Bible had never been written, we would still know, should we care, to comb the records and find out that Jesus was associated with another man by the name of James. If the whole New Testament just vanished as though it had never been. We could still find out that Jesus lived, was associated with John the Baptist and James, and that he had a lot of tension with a group called the Pharisees and another group called the Sadducees. Totally without the New Testament at all, we could discover that Lots of people attributed strange, unusual powers to this Jesus who lived in the first century in Palestine and was associated with John the Baptist and James and had trouble with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Totally without the New Testament at all, we could discover, should we care to check, that this same Jesus, of whom all these other things are true, was tried and convicted by a regional governor named Pontius Pilate during the reign of the emperor Tiberius. And we could discover totally without the New Testament. Some claimed that after he was killed as the result of that trial, that he rose from the dead. Subsequently, we could find out just from the non-biblical historical records that because they believed that he rose from the dead, that starting that very day, not a later development, but right then, people began to worship him as the Son of God. We could find out all that if the Bible had never 
been written. Now, just if you're curious, if you want to, if you want to know a little bit about those historical records, here's a shameless plug. Come to my Sunday school class today. Because I'll go into some of those in a little bit more detail. But uh, if you're not curious, well, go to Mark's Sunday school class today. <laughs> Now, I want, I want to make sure to say this. Historical records of the ordinary type cannot replace the Bible. And historical knowledge of an ordinary type is no substitute for the faith that we have in God or in His Son, Jesus Christ. And I never mean to say otherwise. They cannot replace these essentials. But they can show us something that the alleged eyewitness accounts of the Bible are talking about real people who really lived, and who really did these things, and who did them at the time, and in the place, and under the auspices that are mentioned. Now we still have decisions to make about Jesus Christ. No amount of these historical documents can persuade us that He is the Son of God or that we should trust Him with our lives and our eternities. We still have decisions to make, but those decisions are not being made on the basis of fairy tales. History shows us that they are being made on the basis of eyewitnesses who were there and who saw such things. Among the things that they saw and attest to, we come to this today and we ask ourselves, was the tomb empty? They said it was, the eyewitnesses. They said something else we'll come to in a minute, but we begin with this. Make sure to say this. Historical records of the ordinary type cannot replace the Bible. And historical knowledge of an ordinary type is no substitute for the faith that we have in God or in His Son, Jesus Christ. And I never mean to say otherwise. They cannot replace these essentials. But they can show us something that the alleged eyewitness accounts of the Bible are talking about real people who really lived, and who really did these things, and who did them at the time, and in the place, and under the auspices 
that are mentioned. Now, we still have decisions to make about Jesus Christ. No amount of these historical documents can persuade us that he is the Son of God or that we should trust him with our lives and our eternities. We still have decisions to make, but those decisions are not being made on the basis of fairy tales. History shows us that they are being made on the basis of eyewitnesses who were there and who saw such things. Among the things that they saw and attest to, we come to this today and we ask ourselves, was the tomb empty? They said it was, the eyewitnesses. They said something else we'll come to in a minute, but we begin with this. Starting with those women who came to anoint Jesus' body early on the day following the Sabbath, and continuing forth to his disciples and then other witnesses, they said the tomb was empty. And whether we believe them or not makes all the difference in the world. Now there was a competing narrative According to the New Testament, the priestly leaders concocted this narrative to explain the empty tomb. And if they needed to explain the empty tomb, that means that the tomb was, in fact, empty. It was a very sensible narrative. It was exactly what they had said they feared would happen. It was why they posted guards and set seals and all that stuff, because they had said his followers will come and steal the body and try to create some tale about his having risen from the dead because he said that he would. You know, it's interesting to me that his opponents were more concerned about his claims to rise from the dead than his followers at this point, who just wrote that matter completely off. He's dead. And dead is dead. But it was the very thing that the priestly leaders had said they feared would happen. It was the story that they concocted. They had to pay the first eyewitnesses, the Roman guards who were there. They had to pay them in order to get them to repeat this narrative that they concocted. You can read all that in the 27th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. But the women who came to the tomb early, as we understand it, were completely prepared to accept some version of this because they came to anoint a dead body, looking to find a dead body. And when they found an empty tomb, one of their first thoughts was, Oh no! Someone has taken his body and we don't know where they went with it. Or what they've done with it. And they were alarmed by that prospect until they found out better. Because having seen the empty tomb, these women had an encounter just shortly with the risen Lord. He is risen. And then the disciples had the same encounter. And the men on the road to Emmaus 
had the same encounter. And all those who followed the instructions to go up to Galilee to meet him had the same encounter. And the hundred plus people who were gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, all of these people, the New Testament tells us, five hundred plus found out better because they met the risen Lord. Now I will return for a moment to inferences and you've already seen what inferences can be worth. But I will make one nonetheless. There are considerably fewer than 500 people in this room this morning. What would it take for me to concoct a big, important lie that I thought would go out and achieve powerful things in this community and for me to get all of you here to go out and repeat my lie as though it were the truth. What would it take? What would it take, Kevin, for me to get you on board with this? It's a, it's a big, important lie. It will make some difference. I need you to go out and tell it. What would it take? No, Mark, Russ, come on. It's a big, important lie that will make a difference. What's it going to take to get you on board with this? What would it, what would it be? What would it be, Doug? What would I have to do to get you on board with my big important known lie? Dick Piro is shaking his head. It's like this can't be done. This can't. What would it take for me to get just this many people to agree to go out? Larry? Sharon? Jeff? Now there you see what I would be up against. What would it take to get 500 people to go out into the community and say, I saw this man dead and buried and then met him alive again? What would it take? To persuade 500 plus people to go out and tell that big important, and not only to tell the big important lie, but to stick to it no matter what, even when the day came, as it came quickly, when it would be put to them like this. Renounce your ridiculous story and you can live or stick to it and die yourself right now. What would it take for me to get 500 people not only to tell my lie, but to stick to it despite the threat of imprisonment, pain, and death? I'm just going to tell you now, it can't be done. 
But when the moment came, these people were prepared to lay down their lives for the sake of the testimony that they had given. And they were prepared to do so because, according to that testimony, Jesus promised them that even as he rose from the dead, they would share in his resurrection and there was a life to come. And they believed it fervently enough to trust him more than their desire to preserve their own lives here and now. That sounds to me like people who are pretty sure of what they saw and heard and believed. They came to a question when they found the empty Tomb. They came to a truth when they encountered the risen Lord. And nothing has changed. The eyewitness testimony corroborated by history and archaeology of the New Testament forces us to ask certain questions. But the truth, the real truth, the truth that will persuade us to be faithful even unto death and trust Him more than we fear death, that truth comes as the result of meeting the risen Lord. Knowing in your own heart and soul God's Son, Jesus Christ. He is risen. risen Amen. And believing it, knowing it, living in the light of that core truth changes everything. We want to take a moment to thank all of you, our faithful listeners, for setting aside time each week for the Indian Run Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about the church by visiting our website at www.christforeastcanton.com. That's www.christforeastcanton, all one word, dot com. On behalf of Pastor Terry and all the folks at Indian Run Christian Church, I pray God's blessing on you and your family.